Welcome to another edition of Startups and Fuck Ups, a podcast brought to you by No Skin House Kigali. Now, in this podcast, we speak to founders, CEOs, stakeholders in Africa's startup ecosystem. But have you gotten your tickets yet for the No Skin Africa Week? Yes, it's happening in November. Now you can check out all No Skin's social media platforms for those tickets to the No Skin Africa Week. We're going to meet some of the world's leading investors, innovators, but most importantly, Africa's leading entrepreneurs and uh, one building. Now, episode nine of this podcast, we talked about Y Combinator and the growth of Randa's startup ecosystem. And we talked about one company in particular that has played a role. And why is this crucial for Randa's startup ecosystem? Now, last year, Randa as a country did 10.2 million US dollars funding from the startup ecosystem. Now, that's a drop in the ocean when you compare to Kenya, which did over a billion dollars, South Africa, which did slightly over a billion dollars, Egypt, Nigeria, but even Algeria, which did a hundred million plus. So Rwanda is on track this year to get to that a hundred million dollar target. And one of the major players in that is a company known as Eden Care. We've mentioned it a few times. It's going to be a regular. If you walk around the streets of Kigali, you've seen some of these billboards. So let's put our hands together. For Moses, he is the founder of Eden Care. He joins us. Uh, man has been on flights, no feelings. And he just came back from Y Combinator. Uh, Moses, I have your resume here. I have your profile, but I'm not going to go into those details. Moses, welcome to Startups and Fuck Ups. Thanks for having me, Anos. Uh, you're missed in the gym. Uh, we used to go to the same gym. I don't know what happened about that. Man... I was out with my begging cap, fundraising and getting the company running. It's one of the things I would do differently, <laughs> spend a bit more time at the gym. But hey, last couple of months have been what they've been. Well, uh, they seem to be paying off big announcements coming up. But uh, before we get into those big announcements, what is Eden Care? So how I think about Eden Care, we are at our core focused on delivering better healthcare to our members. Right. We think that the intersection of health and finance is critical because one of the biggest spends for a lot of people tends to be health insurance specifically. One of the statistics that for me was very sobering was about 15 million Africans sleep into poverty every year due to a large medical bill. And health insurance or health financing as a format is one of the best ways to address such a material social impact on the African continent. You wonder why poverty, growth, financial inclusion, women participation in the economy. Insurance, if well provided and has wide coverage across, means that one, families will never have to worry about a large medical bill because they have insurance. And what we typically sometimes don't see is the impact of when a large medical bill happens. It, it tends to be one, someone that sells the one asset that has been accumulated over 40 years of that family's existence. Women tend to be the first people asked to leave their job, to come and help out at home. They're asked to drop out. So for me, I think what we are on is larger than just building access to better healthcare and health services across the African continent. It's actually also building higher social impact across the entire continent. Impact is something we do and stand for at No Skin. But uh, uh, the, the idea of, you know, having an tech startup, I want us to go back to the role of insurance companies. When one looks at how they are set up traditionally, the last, let's say the informal sector, or which is the majority of Africans, is something they tend to neglect. 
right? And uh, groupings is another thing they tend to neglect, but they're also stuck in their ways. The way they operate is very similar to traditional banks. So what made you think, let me get this vision, let insurance be the thing that I should focus on, and that's the thing that will have an impact on society? One, I think I'd spent a huge chunk of my career investing into insurance and healthcare companies. So that provided that technical base for me to have understood the sector. But it's also observing where the trends were. I think banking was probably one of the biggest financial services play that the startups should get into. And that has a very different dynamic. When I looked at insurance, it's the one place where very few startups are playing in. One, largely because this tends to be a very technical side of financial services. People don't think about insurance because you only interact with it very few times in your life. Emergencies. When you have an emergency, right? Uh, when you have to go to hospital. But outside of that, you don't interact with the insurance on a day-to-day basis. But it also has a very high barrier of entry, whether it's capital-wise, the skill sets that you need, the licensing process to, for you to get started. And for me, I saw this as, if you look at where Africa is sitting at right now, we're at average age is 19 years old. What that tells me is that for the next 47 years, there's going to be a lot of family formations that happen. And for a lot of people, the first time they think about buying health insurance or start being conscious about the cost of healthcare tends to be when you have your first child. So for me, looking at the trend of a lot of families are going to be formed. A lot of these families are going to be very young. They're used to digital services. They're used to Momo and Pesa. They're used to buying these via e-commerce. How do you bring financial services to the same level of accessibility for them? And lastly, how do you design products that are actually more relevant to the end consumer? Because I don't know whether you know this, in a lot of countries, where Rwanda included, there hasn't been a new health insurance product for like the last 13 years. Why do you think so? It's also a factor of who writes your insurance, who designs your insurance products. A lot of insurance companies rely on South African expertise to fly in and design a product. They will look at very little amount of data because also majority of the data sits in paper format. So that ability to generate enough customer insights to design a new product doesn't exist currently with existing insurance companies. So Combining the fact that it's someone from South Africa who flies in for a week and tells you how to design a product with the fact that insurance companies don't usually sit on a lot of data because a lot of it sits in paper means that there just hasn't been new products. Talking about products, in uh, I'll say about two years of your existence, you've put out a product. You are on the edge of putting out another product. What is that product? What is it about? And why do you think it's market fit? Yeah. So we have our health insurance product and that's the core product that we put out there. But we have a second product that has actually gone live here in Rwanda, going live in Kenya next week. It's a wellness and prevention product. And the conception of this product was actually based on market feedback from selling our health insurance. And people really liked the wellness and prevention component that has been embedded and asked us to actually build additional tools to that product and go and sell it as a standalone product. So our initial product customers have actually been people who bought our insurance before. And we built this product with four main components in it. One, a very large focus on mental health and figuring out how to build preventive and curative mental health. What does that mean? We have ability to screen you a lot earlier for 
anxiety, stress, and depression before it becomes a high-risk situation and actually nudge you to take some of the pathways to help treat that. We also give you access to mental health professionals who can then work with you to address any issues that you might have. The second big component is around physical well-being. And this is where, you know, access to things like gyms, hikes. We realize that not everyone wants to go to the gym to work out, but there are people who enjoy going on hikes, going on walks, joining their local tennis club. So we've provided an ability for you to have this bouquet of activities that you can choose from. We also have a very big focus on screenings, right? So we'll come to your workplace and actually do your physical screening there. And the screening has been created in such a way that we can actually predict up to 60% of diseases from that screening. The third component of this is condition management. One of the things that we realized from our health data was if you have diabetes, you only see a doctor like three times in a year. But diabetes is a continuous day-to-day engagement with the disease. How do you create ability for someone to monitor themselves, have access to a health professional, a nutritionist that work with them to create a plan to manage their health for chronic disease over the long term. We are a big believer that health should be divided into goals. And every time you hit your goal, we'll reward you for it. We'll give you points that you can go redeem for a coffee, a smoothie, a day at the gym, etc. That's a product and it's meant to pair very well with the health insurance so that it provides the prevention and early intervention, and then the insurance provides that curative care when you need to go to hospital. So I want us to go back to 2021. I don't know where you were seated when you look at Larry Page's book. You know, she was in a garage. Steve Jobs was in a basement. Where was Moses? (laughs) Moses had just dropped out of Wharton from his MBA. Obviously, having African parents, they're all in panic. He was trying to figure out what he's about to do. I think I'm very planned. I I make a jump when I have a bit of sense of what is the next step. But I think this has been a very unplanned journey for someone who is very planned. And which part of that? I think we've had to adjust pretty much on the fly to some of the things in the market, how to adjust to new regulations, how to think about our technology versus what the initial conception, fundraising. And I think... This is quite literally the, one of those examples of, you know, Mike Tyson's, you have a plan until the first blue lands, right? That's what it's been like. You and I were having a conversation earlier, and uh, one of the things we like to talk about on this podcast is failures, fuck-ups. And the major reason why we try to do that is no one wants to talk about where it went wrong, where it went hard. Mm-hmm. So even before you went for your MBA, to many Africans, MBA is a luxury. When you look at the percentage of, let's say, Rwandans who have gotten a university degree, the latest national statistics say less than 3% of adults have a diploma or a degree. What was the journey before the MBA? So I have a very traditional path to business school. Six months of trying management consulting and realized I don't like it. I, this is not my ding. And then... So that's a luxury to realize you don't like something and, you know, you can still uh, put food on the table. <laughs> I guess it is. Uh, and I think... Acknowledging some of those privileges, is, it's always helpful. So after trying out management consulting and realizing it's not my thing, I jumped to investment banking. And that's where I actually found my footing, more of a finance guy. Did that specifically focus on sub-Saharan Africa, doing financial services and healthcare. After that, I left to set up my second startup, actually. My first startup died because we <laughs> finally <laughs> fuck up. So yes, please. 
what was the first startup about? It was in the agriculture space. And we died because we couldn't raise money. What was your focus? So we had figured out that with a new type of irrigation, we could actually grow fall crops in the year that would be very profitable. But we needed to raise quite a bit of cash. South Korean model. It works very well in like Netherlands, ATC, where they figured out how to generate like multiple crops in the year. Well, a typical way of farming would probably only do one crop. Yeah. But we needed quite a bit of capital. I put in my own capital thinking that I could raise the rest and we ran out of money. But it also became a very useful tool for me to set up my second startup because I realized if we had automated that farm, we would have been able to do this for even less cost and increase the productivity. So I actually ended up spawning the second startup that ended up getting acquired. So you sold your second setup? I did. How much? <laughs> Let's just say I was happy. You, you were happy? Yeah. Okay. Um, you sold your second setup. Uh, and what was the focus of your second setup? So we built an operating system for large farms. Okay. So automating the farm that I would have had yeah. into being completely tech-based. In a way, one would look at it as a pivot. Now I have the time for it. Then I was like, <laughs> my shit is on fire. <laughs> so it was more or less you pivoted, got a new product, and that product was successful. You've seen this, the story of Slack and how Slack came about. Yeah. You know, it was very accidental and it was a pivot for a company. Yeah. Looking at Moses Mukundi, the person, every morning you wake up, the things that keep you up at night, fundraising is one of those things. You hit a milestone that non many startups in Rwanda have been able to hit. And, you know, I can count on my fingers about three, four, five startups, SC Group, Pesa Choice, yourselves, that have been able to raise, you know, two million plus dollars. And this is in less than two years of operation. Eden Care has done two million plus dollars. What does that journey look like getting there? What are some of the failures that have come along the way? Most of the failures. And what are the experiences of Y Combinator? And what does that bring to the table? Failures, oh, too many. <laughs> I think the one that we were speaking about was, I think we've gone through like three marketing agencies trying to figure it out and then... Rookie mistake. Uh, yeah, that was, that was tough. Hiring. Sometimes you find someone really good fit, but they've never worked for a startup and don't fit in the startup culture. And... Sometimes it takes a bit of discerning to tell the difference between the two, but sometimes people slip through, right? So sometimes you'll end up hiring you know, people who are not fit for a startup. And that's fine. They're really good, but just not for a startup at all. You're being so politically correct. It's <laughs> <laughs> so politically correct. Yeah. And I also think figuring out how to pace growth within your business, it's probably one of the most difficult things. Myself been caught in a place where we've overhired and you're trying to adjust for that. Let's talk about that, the switch on, switch off moment, right? The overhiring, you get excited today, you know, you get a check in of a few hundred thousand dollars and you're like, okay, cool. I need three shins, I need, you know, four Vanessa's, five Rita's. The lessons in that, when have you learned or what have you learned over this being your third setup that, you know, this is when I can put my foot on the brakes and say, no, let me just add more tasks to a particular person rather than bring on uh, a few more hands. What I'm learning still, because <laughs> clearly this is still a, a point of learning for me, it's be very deliberate and have become deliberate. It's everything is on Excel sheet. If you don't feel on my Excel sheet, you would have to be so exceptional for me to 
change that. And we lock that in. So we now do six months budget and it gets locked up. Like anything that needs beyond that budget has to come to the Exco and you have to like write a very long memo explaining why. Isn't that a bureaucratic issue if you're functioning as a startup to just go through that kind of methodology to just pass something? Because when people want to work in this world, they think, you know, if I'm off the bat, that can be passed. Aren't you creating bureaucratic strings just within Eden Care when it's still in the functionality of a startup? No, I think that just brings discipline. So you do very well by planning six months ahead, right? So you, you've accounted for a lot of scenarios and you've created enough bandwidth for unexpected changes, right? And majority of the spend, majority of the new hires tend to fit within that. So that means then we're talking about just a 5% or 1% additional cost that is probably material, but also you need to figure out how it fits into the plan. Because if you just plop someone in without having figured out the plan, that's how you start hiring 20 people. You didn't think about it. You didn't think through what the business was at. So for me, I think of it as discipline and we also move pretty fast uh, if, if something has to happen. To our listeners, who is Moses Mukwili? I think I'm an avid traveler. I enjoy traveling. I like hanging out with my small circle of friends. I'm very passionate about education and its impact on trajectory for a lot of people. I'm a big, passionate believer in the African continent. I draw out of water and I could have gone to Wall Street and be fine. I think I could have a bigger impact on the continent. And that's part of the reason I came back. When you look at things that keep us up at night, right? Uh, usually when I'm talking to friends, personally, what keeps me up at night is economic liberation, you know, having a media house as well in Africa that speaks to Africans for Africans. What's that one thing that keeps you up at night? I think I wanna I wanna see more Africans owning, solving African problems. I'd like to see a lot more African representation in getting Africa to where it needs to be. And I think we don't realize how much other people determine the future of the African continent. Think about it. Just the amount of VC money that comes into the African continent. You're funding a pensioner in Norway. You're funding a pensioner in Sweden, in the US. Which means then that money is actually living the continent. Yeah. That money will fund someone who's from that country because it's related to the, the origin of the money. So my thing is seeing a lot more Africans building solutions, solving the needs for the African continent. And that requires us to be a lot more deliberate than we have been on how we approach a lot of things. Moses, before I let you go, you talked about the wellness program. My local gym, I think, should be part of that wellness program. I want to benefit from that wellness program. So someone listening to us, what's special about this wellness program? When you have your Apple, you'll track the number of steps. But what we figured out is how to localize that to be, one, part of a larger community of other you know, health, fitness, wellness enthusiasts, right? And we've partnered with local companies. So, for example, if you're in Rwanda, for some of our gyms, we work with like Waka. For some of mental health facilities that we work with, it's MHub, Solid Minds, Lighthouse. If you want to speak about where you go and redeem your rewards, you go get like a free coffee from a Java house, a barbon coffee, 
All these guys are going to pay for these mentions. <laughs> they are definitely <laughs> going to pay for these mentions. Well, I, and I also think that localization means that we're able to provide you flexibility of doing a lot of these things online via our app or figuring out how to get you face-to-face access to some of these services. Someone, for example, in the high-risk category for mental health, no matter how much you throw teletherapy at them, it's been shown that in-person therapy tends to be the best way to address that. So we're not just offering you a plan for the sake of offering you a plan. We're making sure that it actually has real impactful health outcomes for our members. Moses Mukundi, he's the CEO and founder of Eden Care. You've been listening to Startups and Fuck Ups, a podcast by No Skin House Kigali. Don't forget, get your tickets for the No Skin Africa Week happening 7th, 8th, 9th of November. The world's leading investors, I'm talking about 100 LPs, Moses, that are going to be in Kigali. Wow. During that period of time, 130 VCs also confirmed that will be in Kigali. So you're talking about billions of dollars in capital, an opportunity for Africans and African founders to tap into. Now find this podcast across all your favorite podcast platforms. But even better, share it. Tweet us out at Norskin East Africa across all social media platforms. Have a great day.